Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, I was a little upset at first. I mean, obviously people are going to think I'm a showboat and a little bit of a prick. But then I thought, that's me. I said those things. I did those things. I can live with that. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Hello there. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm feeling a little logy, a little, a little sleepy. Why? Because it was a long day. Oh, well, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm here. I thought it was because maybe this movie put you to sleep. Oh, first well, shot across the bow. Yeah, well, and that's fine because, I mean, if you didn't get it, of course, it's going to be sleepy time, right? But if you got it and you could appreciate what they were trying to do and you have a sense of humor, you pretty much like this film. So, shot fired back. Oh. dick now where did this uh today's movie come from hey that's a good segue uh tonight is the first night of our fan picks and our fan zach put in uh life aquatic uh with steve zizu as one of his picks and we picked it and i talked to him today and i asked him i said why why did you pick this film and he told me that uh he really likes it he likes the dialogue he thinks it's hilarious um and he's kind of a fan of Wes Anderson. You know, I think he said this is his favorite Wes Anderson film, which here tells a bold statement. Now, I haven't seen all the Wes Anderson films, but I do have a favorite. Uh, but I would say in general, I, I don't hate Wes Anderson. I don't hate the way he tells a story because he's very specific on how he does it. And you can tell a Wes Anderson film when you see it, right? There's directors out there that have a style. And as soon as you see a frame of it, you're like, oh, that's Wes Anderson or, oh, that's Quentin Tarantino. Right. I mean, there's just certain styles. So you mean basically blending comedy with tragedy and bad family relationships. That's pretty much all his movies. Yeah. But you say that like it's a bad thing. No. Have you seen? No, you, you said it like it was a bad thing. Why is it a bad thing? I'm just saying that's what sums up Wes Anderson's style of movie making. Yeah, probably. Well, have you seen any other Wes Anderson movies? Uh, Royal Tenenbaums. That's the only other one I've seen. Oh, okay. well, that says a lot. Because Fantastic Mr. Fox isn't like that. Isle of Dogs. I think they. I think I've a seen, lot of them have father stories in there somewhere, but who knows? I got about halfway through Isle of Dogs, and I just kind of got tired of it. Did you ever see the Grand Budapest Hotel? No. Fucking awesome. I really enjoyed that I don't one. think what I'm you? much into his style. Uh, Clearly. I, I saw Fox, Isle of Dogs, and Moonrise Kingdom. And I think if you're going to get warmed up to Wes Anderson, Fox and Moonrise are a good way to get warmed up to him. Sure. It's, sure. It is absolutely an acquired taste 
So um, when so this came out in what what year did this come out? Two thousand four. So in two thousand four, I uh, was surprised to see the budget that this movie had. That's a pretty big budget. Oh yeah, and it certainly didn't bring anything back. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm pretty sure it lost money. So what what was the budget? Uh, it was made for fifty million, and it brought in thirty five million. Eleven of that was international. And then there was a domestic video sales of one million. So, so this movie came. This is Wes Anderson's next movie after the Royal Tenenbaums, if I remember correctly. Right, and the year before that, he was nominated for an Academy Award, and people were expecting big things from this film, and uh, <laughs> people didn't get it. So, mm. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, or I should I, say, or I should say, the critics. Uh, that's where that's where it really got pan was the critics and if you look at um uh the, like the word of mouth and people just talking about it people in general if if they like wes anderson if they if it's their acquired taste then they enjoy this film one interesting thing i you know i watched a lot of reviews on this to get ready for this and almost all of the positive reviews came from people who have watched it multiple times everyone basically said the same thing the first time i watched it you know, I just didn't see the appeal of it. I just didn't enjoy it. It just seemed longer than two hours. But then people said I watched it multiple times and I started to get the metaphors. I started to get, you know, where the narration was coming from, where the ideas were coming from. And the more I watched it, the more I associated it with my own life, the more I liked it. Yeah. Um, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it once. Once. Uh, me too. Yeah. But no, it, he is an acquired taste and... I, I, for one, like the way he tells his stories. I enjoyed the Budapest. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is by far my favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie. And uh, funnily enough, uh, last night before I watched uh, Life Aquatic, I had something to do uh, beforehand so I couldn't start it, but I had some time to kill, so Elise and I started Fantastic Mr. Fox. And then going and watching Life Aquatic, a lot of the characters, Wes Anderson uses a lot of the same uh, characters or actors in his film. And so every time they were on screen or they were saying something, I pictured their, uh, animal selves of them because mm-hmm. I could hear it in my voice mm-hmm. or I could hear it in my head. So, yeah. So that's how I got ready to do it. Why don't you tell us a little about this film? All right. The life aquatic with Steve Zizou. It was released on December 25th, Christmas day, 2004. It was directed by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. It stars Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Angelica Houston, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Gambon, and Bud Court. Internationally famous oceanographer Steve Zizou and his crew, Team Zizou, set sail on an expedition to hunt down the mysterious, elusive, possibly non-existent jaguar shark that killed Zizou's partner during a documentary filming of their latest adventure. A young airline co-pilot who may or may not be Zizou's son, a beautiful journalist assigned to write a profile of Zizou, and Zizou's estranged wife and co-producer, Eleanor, joins them on their voyage. They face overwhelming complications, including pirates, kidnapping, and bankruptcy. Now, to the credit of this movie, when I first watched it through, I felt like a lot of others where it was really long. Um, It it seemed to me almost like they were making up the movie as they go. 
Uh, a lot of it was far-fetched. A lot of it was unbelievable. The stop motion and, you know, combined with the actual action, with combined with the fact that it looked like a documentary, threw me off a bit. But then this is a movie that after you see it makes you think about it and think about certain scenes and think about certain, uh, the way things were set up and designed and script. And um, you start kind of getting the, the metaphors and you start looking at it differently and you realize, oh, wait, this is being narrated by Steve. Steve is telling his story and this is from his point of view. It's also set up to be a combination of uh, reality and scripted reality, fake reality. Um, and when you kind of start getting those ideas, you start realizing there is some brilliance to this movie. There is some, uh, how do I put it? The, there is some direction in the movie in the way that Wes Anderson set up. As I said before, the only other movie I've seen is the Royal Tannenbaums. And I had a tough time getting through that because I really didn't enjoy Royal Tannenbaums. Um, so I was hesitant and kind of going into this movie with that same bad taste in my mouth. Uh, but when, you know, when I started to kind of think back to it, I do see, like I said, the brilliance in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I really dug the way the, uh, the fact that they were making a documentary, mm -hmm. you know, um, I liked that whole aspect and, uh, I liked the characters, uh, the sets were awesome. The stop motion and the cheesy CGI, it didn't take me out of it because I knew that was intentional. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to look that way. Um, just uh you the they built that ship it was a practical set because wes anderson wanted to get the shots of you know bill murray and owen wilson um walking through and the, the camera's tracks with them so i mean that's pretty impressive in itself i mean shit with a 50 million dollar budget i would hope so right mm -hmm. uh but overall the storytelling it kept me engaged and i thought the dialogue was witty uh it, I mean, if I had something negative to say about it, it is, it does feel a tad long at the end. Um, but, uh, I, I go with it because I'm invested in Bill Murray's character. Uh, I think that Bill Murray is perfectly cast for this. Uh, I'm pretty sure they wrote it specifically for, mm -hmm. uh, with Bill Murray in mind. This is kind of Bill Murray's Renaissance, right? He's kind of coming back into the mainstream. Wes Anderson brought him back from, uh, wherever he was and uh, I think he just nails it out of the park with this one. I heard somewhere a lot of people give this movie credit for bringing Bill Murray back out of obscurity because he had been having so many issues. But didn't he just make Lost in Translation before this? He was getting awards for that? It was Rushmore that brought him out. Was it Rushmore? Yeah, because I think that's Wes Anderson's like second movie, maybe? Maybe. Because I think Bottle Rocket is number one. Yeah. Okay. Bottle Rocket is first. Uh, Bottle Rocket's a good movie, too. Yeah. Uh, usually directors like that... Um, their first movies are super good and then they become all, you know, eccentric and weird and stuff. But, uh, like for, uh, Christopher Nolan, I think Momento's a fantastic movie. Did you guys like lost in translation? Um, it was okay. It was long. It was a drama. Uh, I liked Bill Murray's performance. Uh, to be honest with you, I can't really remember how it ends. I remember he spends a lot of time with Scarlett Johansson. I know there's a little talk, 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 talk. And they, doesn't he leave her at the end? Don't don't they go their separate ways? I think they do. They go back to their own lives. Yeah. So, I mean. You saw it, John? I have not seen it, but now that Don has completely spoiled it for me. Oh, trust me, dude. You wouldn't like it. The Life Aquatic is of a 
not dissimilar flavor to uh, Lost in Translation. Very subtle story, very quiet in its storytelling, and it is open to interpretation as to what this is supposed to mean. I think that uh, Life Aquatic is uh, way funnier than Lost in Translation, and that helps pick up the pace. I think it uh, the action sets, though, you know, hokey and far-fetched, as you said, uh, still uh, move the film in a different direction, which picks up the tempo. And um, it's interesting that you would think that. In watching Life Aquatic, I, I think it's a silly movie, but I never laughed once, nor did I even smile but i think it's a silly movie one of the key things for this movie is it really made me think of you don well thank you the reason being is again what i said earlier about this movie being reality versus the scripted Mm -hmm. you know what we see in one way versus other like in the movie you know steve is one way when he's in reality he's another way when the cameras are rolling he looks like he knows what he's doing he looks like he knows a lot about the ocean in reality he turns out you know he's mostly a prick now don when we are doing our podcast, you always appear to know what you're talking about. You're nice. You're, you're very friendly. In real life, what people don't know about Don is he can sometimes be a sarcastic jerk who often will tell people that they're wrong about something when they're really not. So that just shows how you know, reality is different from the scripted. Are you done? Are you glad you got that out? People who know me know I'm a dick, so I don't know why this is surprising. So, moving on. Moving on. I didn't laugh once, and I don't remember smiling. Well, that's too bad. But did the ending, and we'll jump ahead, because obviously we're going to go through the whole movie, but the ending, when Bill Murray starts to kind of have that emotional scene, did that bring out any emotion in you? No. Don, anything? Did you get a little teary? When he, when... uh when when he got through uh when he sees the shark and and oh and he he sees and he's going through that emotion no but i was smiling because it's a fun scene Hmm. i like the music that was going on i thought it was hilarious that they were able to fit all of those people in that sub comfortably Mm -hmm. yeah whatever it's supposed Uh, to seat six is it Mm -hmm. yeah that's what it said oh (laughs) i would say it gave me the feels a little oh good i'm glad i do have somewhat of a heart left well, I did crack a, I did crack a smile, I guess, when uh, Steve is talking about the uh, antenna so they can listen to music. Oh my gosh, so funny! And we, he starts subtly dancing. <laughs> I did, I, I did smile for that. Yeah, because those were great dance moves, and who wouldn't want tunes in your ears? While oceanographer Steve Zizou is working on his latest documentary at sea, his best friend and chief diver Esteban is eaten by a 10 meter long mythical jaguar shark. For his next project, Zizou is determined to document the shark's destruction. The crew aboard Zizou's aging research vessel, the Belafonte, includes his estranged wife, Eleanor, chief strategist and financial backer Pele de Santos, a safety expert and a Brazilian guitarist who sings David Bowie songs in Portuguese, and Klaus, the German first mate who views Zizou and Esteban as father figures. Minor crew members include Vakram, the cameraman, Bobby, the frogman, Vladimir, the physicist, and soundtrack composer. Renzu, the sound man, and Anne-Marie, a script girl who is often seen topless, 
Also included is a recent group of unpaid interns from the University of North Alaska. However, the Team Zizu venture has hit a decline. They have not released a successful documentary in nine years. So going back to uh, storytellers and how, you know, uh, storytellers like to open their film. Uh, it's ironic that we're watching a movie about a filmmaker um, starting off a film at a screening of a film. What I noticed about this this movie is that we open on a film and we close on a film. So it was a nice little bookend. Um, but this is where we meet Steve Zizou, who is played by Bill Murray. Uh, what did you guys think of uh, Bill Murray and his performance? I thought he did a great job in his performance. I thought his performance was very reserved and I was expecting to see uh, more of a Bill Murray feeling in his character, but he played it so deadpan, so subtle. I was uh, surprised to see as little of Bill Murray in that role. Yeah, and and I appreciated that, right? I think that deadpan Bill Murray is just as funny as you know Ghostbusters, sarcastic. Bill. Yeah, so I I, I like that changeup that he had, and I and I like the way that he portrayed the character. And you know, he's a dick, and he's selfish, and he's narcissistic, and I kind of felt bad for him. So, you know, well, I got the impression. That the beginning obviously is a setup to show how much he cares about what other people think. Yeah. Because he's there at the screening. He's watching everybody to see what their reaction is. You know, he, when he goes out, he wants to ask, answer all the questions. He wants that limelight. He wants that attention. The interesting thing I thought about the way this movie is set up different from other movies is a lot of other movies are set up. It's the buildup. It's the, you know, the main person finding their purpose and their desire and, and completing their goal. This is a movie that starts off with a guy who's already hit his pinnacle. Mm-hmm. He's on the way down, and now he's trying to find his purpose again and his passion again and trying to decide if he wants to keep going. Sure. And, you know, he just lost his best friend, and we're uh, led to believe, and we have no reason not to believe, that uh, Esteban was his partner, his best friend. I mean, kind of like, you know, uh, he was the guy. I he mean, was his he, mentor. Yeah, yeah, he was his mentor, too. And uh, he gets eaten by a shark, and uh, he's got to move on from that as well. Uh, I loved in the documentary when he comes up from the water and he says, Esteban's been eaten, and Klaus says, he was bitten? And he's like, no, he was eaten, like swallowed. And and Zizu's like, no, he was chewed up. It, it's a really funny scene. You didn't smile? Mm-mm. Oh, killing me, professor. I read that Seymour Cassell, the guy who played Esteban, uh-huh. it was one of his dreams to be in a movie that he got eaten by a shark. That's so awesome. And now he's got to uh, live his dream. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, he revealed that in an interview. <clears throat> yeah. And then I like the bit at the Q&A when the, uh, the guy who's asking questions says, uh, so what is the scientific purpose for this expedition? And, oh, and he comes back with revenge. Yeah, and his deadpan, just all seriousness. Well, revenge. I thought that was good. It did good. give a feel, and I had to question several times, is was that in the script or was it just ad-libbed? I think a lot of this is written by uh, that Noah dude and Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much ad-libbing is allowed, per se. I know that uh, when um, Bill Murray pulls the gun on uh, Kate Blanchett, 
that was improv and Wes Anderson said, leave it in there. So curious thought. During the uh, post uh, party uh, scene when he's glad, he, but he's not glad handing. I, I thought that it felt very much like he was a fish with predators circling around him, constantly circling all these different predators wanting a piece of him or, or, or what was their angle that they could get from him. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, along those lines, here comes Jeff Goldblum, who always makes me smile. Mm-hmm. And no matter what he does, I just, I love Jeff Goldblum. I think he's hilarious. Uh, he could just stand there and be funny. Uh, but he comes in as Steve Zizou's nemesis. And you know what I thought then when I saw that? I thought of Twister. I thought of Bill Paxson's uh, blue collar working guy and then Carrie, Carrie Elway's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All technology happens to be in the right place at the right time. That's what, uh, that's the feel I got from Jeff Goldblum's character. The one big thing I noticed about Jeff Goldblum's character when we first introduced that I actually thought was clever was he had the exact same medals as Steve on his chest, except he had one more. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was a clever way to introduce the nemesis of this is who he's been competing against. Yeah, no, uh, he's always one-upping him, mm-hmm. right? So then we get to know Steve. He takes us around the compound. Oh, no, before that, some kid stands up in the rafters, and it's Owen Wilson. What did you guys think of Owen Wilson in this? I enjoyed him. He, w- he, was, he, he was good in this. Yeah, I liked him okay. I wasn't thrilled by his performance in this. Didn't do anything for you? No, it just seemed very deadpan, and I guess that is a Wes Anderson style, but it just, it lacked a certain passion. It sounded, to me, felt like he was reading a script almost every time. Oh. Like he, someone had just, like he just said line, someone yelled out the line to him, and then he just repeated it back. Yeah, well, I don't even know what to say to that. Uh, I enjoyed him. I yeah. I, I believed him, and uh, I thought his, uh, you know, wanting to get to know his father, I thought, was an interesting subplot. And Sizu uh, is so quick to take him in, right? And, um, yeah, we, we get to find out about that relationship as the film goes on. The interesting thing to note is he seemed like he was quick to take him in for the purpose of the next documentary to show this storyline in the documentary. When the cameras weren't rolling, rolling, he was kind of a dick and didn't want to be a dad. Um. He even said when they were underwater filming when it was cut that don't call me dad. Well, he asked him if he could call him dad. He just said no. No, because that was supposed to portray he didn't really want to be a dad at that point. He just wanted to portray it for the storyline for the documentary. Well, I felt that there were scenes where the cameras weren't rolling that they seem to have a, a genuine conversation, but I, the cameras could have been rolling, I guess. Yeah. I, I think know. it was kind of a build up over time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it was overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had to get to it. Yeah. We need a dialogue upon dialogue to tell us that. And, you know, I thought the dialogue was funny. Yeah, and it kind of kept, you know, revealing throughout the movie that, well, he said he just found out about him and then, Oh no, well he knew about him for a while. And then, Oh no, he knew about him from the day he was born. Oh, yeah. It just kept going. So it, it just kept, kept going. He never really wanted to be a father. Yeah. Yeah. But eventually he does come clean. Mm-hmm. He does, you know, tell him the truth, I guess. Now, do you think he was the father? Uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, I feel like that they had mannerisms that were kind of similar. Uh, but then when, Agen- uh, when Angelica Houston's character says that he's shooting blanks, then you have to think. so. And they never... They never address it other than that one scene. That seems like a big key in this movie is they leave almost everything unresolved. 
And I think that's the point is that you don't need a certain level of resolution to find your purpose and your passion. Yeah, uh, that could be said. Um, what else didn't they resolve? They didn't resolve, first of all, whether or not he's the son. Yeah, they didn't that. resolve whether Eleanor and him would ever get back together. They didn't resolve whether or not he would. He, may, he kept saying throughout the movie he was quitting making documentaries. He was retiring. No, he's going to keep going. So they never resolved whether he was going to keep making documentaries. And they never resolved what happened to June and her baby. So all of those storylines are still left open. But again, um, I think that's the point is that just letting it go is a point of the movie is that you can just let things go. Well, yeah, and then I counter that with the ending scene when they're all walking to the boat. I think they leave it up to the viewer, right? You're, you're right. They don't technically uh, give us a resolution on whether they not whether or not they get back together. However, she is in the blue jumpsuit, and she is tagging along, and she does appear to be happier. So if you are a person that sees the glass half empty – yeah, or half full. Yeah, they're going to get back together. If uh, if it's half empty, well, who knows? I right? think that was actually a big sticking point for a lot of the critics who uh, rated this movie poorly mm -hmm. is that they felt that there was no resolution at the end. Yeah. And I think for this style of movie, it was not needed. I agree. I agree. Wait, what, I, I think what, it, wait, what? I agree with you, Professor. I think it wasn't needed. <laughs> Ned Plimpton is a longtime Zizu fan whose mother has recently died, and he believes that Zizu is his father. Ned takes annual leave from his job as an airline pilot in Kentucky to join his crew. As Zizu's producer cannot find anyone to finance their latest documentary, Ned offers his inheritance. Eleanor feels her husband is taking advantage of Ned and leaves. A pregnant reporter, Jane Winslet Richardson, comes to chronicle the voyage. Both Ned and Zizu are attracted to Jane, and a competition develops between them. Claus becomes jealous of the attention Zizu pays Ned. On their mission to find the Jaguar shark, the Belafonte steals tracking equipment from a remote station owned by currently more successful oceanographer and Zizu's nemesis, Alistair Hennessy. Then, they sail into unprotected waters and are attacked by pirates, who steal Ned's money and kidnap Bill Ubel a Bond Company stooge assigned to the project. They are then rescued by Hennessy and towed to port with all but one of the interns jump ship once they reach port. One interesting thing I wanted to bring up throughout the, you know, these scenes, we get to see a lot of the different aquatic life. We get to see the fish. Did you notice that this movie was shot in a way that the colors are very dull, except when you got to the sea creatures and they were very colorful and uh, vibrant. Did you, you kind of notice that? Too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's done very deliberately. Now, one of the reasons I was thinking that this is done is because this is where Steve's happiness is. His happiness is in the sea, is with these sea creatures. And a lot of times when he's looking at them, he's got that little bit of a smile, like when he sees the seahorse in the beginning. Mm -hmm. it's, it's genuine happiness that's coming out of him, thereby we're seeing that through the colors displaying back at us sure are you would you kind of go with that sure yeah like i said it, it's very deliberate and it, it, it's meant to draw your attention and when you look back at steve's uh reactions yeah you could you could totally say yeah. that so now we get to meet uh kate blanchett what you guys think of kate blanchett i think she's my favorite character yeah she's awesome I thought she had some of the best lines that her acting was actually some of the best in the movie yeah i love the fact that she didn't want to swear 
And then Steve calls her on. He goes, why don't you just swear like a normal person? She goes, because I don't want my fucking baby to hear it. <laughs> uh, such a good mom. The one interesting thing I thought was funny is when she's talking, I believe, to Owen Wilson, and she's reading the books. Uh-huh. And she says that she's reading, I believe, a six-book series. Uh-huh. She's actually holding a book, and there are six books on the bed. So it's a seven-book series. Or maybe one of those books had nothing to do with the series. I don't know. I think it all they all look the same. Uh, I don't know. Are you going to go back and rewatch it to find out? I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> Spoiler. Well, I do like all the music in it. Uh, that I find surprising. I'm surprised you even know who David Bowie is. Oh, that was low. <laughs> For you, that was low. Now, if it was Queen, he'd be all over it. Mm-hmm. Flash Gordon. I do like some of the points of immersing reality into this movie. Like when they get on the elevator with the bondsman. Which is so funny. The elevator was just so fake looking, but they get on the elevator with this bond, this bondman stooge guy, bond and, stooge. He, and he calls him basically a stooge. And the guy's like, "Hey, that kind of hurt." I'm, I'm human. human, yeah. And then you know he immediately goes, "Well, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm right?" Sorry. And he, he's always kind of apologetic after he, he's kind of self aware, right? He knows when he's being a dick, and he you know apologizes it most of the time. Now, so, what did you learn from this movie? I don't have to apologize for shit, John. I am who I am. You either love me or you don't. So You know we love you. Well, I, I know you guys love me, but the question is, do I love you? Um, and you do have the coin to prove it. Oh, I do. I know. I, I told you I showed everybody at work. Yes. He, like, big surprise. Is, the coin shows that he is the official member of the Asshole Club. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, what do you got? Do you got anything? I thought it was incredibly nice to have Ned cough up all that money he just met his dad and he's gonna cough up the money like that immediately wow yeah that was really nice of him the difficulty i had with trying to figure out their relationship ned and steve in that you know was ned really wanting a father or was he just wanting uh, answers for questions the fact that here's a man who ned knew all along knew about him and is lying about it and still he's willing to cough up all that money to help save the father's documentary. Um, it seemed odd that, you know, he wasn't having, you know, any hostility towards him. Why? Why is that odd? It, it just, it seemed like a weird setup to keep revealing these things about how horrible of a father and how a horrible person Steve is. Yet, here's this Ned who just wants the relationship. It just seemed like a weird workup to me. Or you could look at it as uh, every time he has to say, you know, no, I did know about you. No, I did know about you. It's just another layer coming off until we get to the real Steve Zizou. I think that Ned wanted a dad. I think that he, I think he was in it and was really hoping to believe that Zizou was his dad. And then when Zizou says, I want you to be a part of team Zizou at that moment, uh, I think that Ned was taken back and was like, okay, well maybe this is, Maybe this is for real. Now, whether it be Steve was doing it for the cameras or not, I don't think Ned cared. I think Ned felt that that was real. And then so when this all comes up about the money, I think he was happy to do it. So you're kind of saying that Steve Zizou is like an ogre because ogres are like onions and you have to keep peeling the layers. Uh, I didn't say that per se, but if that's what you got out of it, well then, hey, more power to you, bud. Well, let's talk about the maturing of the relationship, because that's right where we're at. All right, hit me. 
Well, I'm curious to know, the first time you watched it, did you realize that this movie was going to be about relationships? Uh, to be honest with you, the first time I watched it, I didn't know what to expect. That was me too. Yeah. I think I saw it when it came out on video right after the theatrical release. So probably around 2004, 2005. And I remember a bunch of guys, uh, where I worked, we would sit around and talk about movies, of course. And, uh, I hadn't seen it and they recommended it. And so I sat down and watched it and I enjoyed it. John. So, when, when you watched it, were you aware that this movie was about relationships? You know, it's funny. I didn't get really the idea that it was about relationships. I got more to, for me, I got it to be more about finding purpose. Everybody in this movie is trying to find some purpose. Steve is trying to find his future purpose. And then every other character in this movie is trying to find their purpose through Steve. For example, Ned is trying to find his father. Uh, Jane is trying to find her next big move, her next article, the next, next thing story. she's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Eleanor is trying to find if she can move on with this man or if she needs to move on with her life. You know, the German man baby just wants to find his father, basically. He's trying to find a father figure. You know, everybody's trying to find purpose in this movie. So I didn't see it as much about relationships as much as a whole theme of purpose. Well, you, I don't know if you can really have purpose without relationship. No. I don't yeah. know. A lot of people, like even the interns were just trying to find their grade. Right, no. The workers were just trying to find a job. Right, no, I, I, I get all that. But what I'm saying is I think that in order to find purpose, uh, regardless of what it is, I think at some point in there you have to have relationships. Mm -hmm. And so is it a movie about relationships or purpose? Uh, both. So Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, when I was watching this, it was challenging for me because I, I didn't catch that it was going to be about that. Instead, I kept waiting for things to happen that were going to propel to move the story forward, and that wasn't happening. And so I, was, I don't want to say that I was lost because, you know, movies are made for the sake of making a movie, whatever the reason is. I just need to find, you know, the angle of approach when I watch the movie that, oh, this is what it's going to be. This is how it's going to go. Yeah. And so for not having necessarily a, a um, drive in so far as I thought we were trying to get out and we were going to go find the uh, the tiger shark. And that was quickly, you know, uh, you know, um, third, fourth, fifth on the list. There were many other things that the story was pursuing. And, and I, I kind of felt like I was fumbling in the dark a little bit, waiting to see what the trajectory of the story was trying to tell to me because... I, I didn't get any of that. And because of that, I found the movie to be, uh, I don't, I don't want to say slow because it does move, but it definitely moves in, in, in a very subtle way. And, and the subtleness of the story, I, I, I wish I would have known about that ahead of time because, um, after the, after watching the movie, I, I went and watched the preview and the preview. Oh, wow. That really captures the movie pretty well. I wish I, I kind of wish I would have watched that before I had watched the movie. But most of the time, you know, if I haven't seen a movie, I just want to watch the movie and have the story be told to me. And so the story, as it was told to me, as I watched it for the first time, I got to say, it really left me uh, scratching my head thinking, what, what is the point of this story? And by the time the movie is done, I, I am thinking, oh, my God, what the heck? This doesn't really seem to be taking me anywhere. Okay, you got the tiger shark, and all okay, right, well, he 
he had some growth there with his son. Maybe his son, maybe not his son, but there was some growth. The next morning, as I review, and I turn it over in my head, and I think about it, little moments about the movie, I, I settled and I reflected, and it is something that I'm not used to necessarily getting out of movies these days. That doesn't happen very often in storytelling through movies anymore where it needs to sit and marinate. Well, let me ask you this, and you, you bring up a good point about if focusing on the relationships in this, and this could be another reason why the, the original critics had so many problems with it, is there is a lot of buildup to building relationships in this movie. But again, when you go back to that issue of things being unresolved, are any of do any of the relationships hit their pinnacle? pinnacle? Do any of them you know, hit any kind of resolution at any point? Like he builds up the relationship with his son, only to see it never resolve whether or not father-son, whether or not they're actually going to come together, whether or not Bill Murray really has acknowledged him. You know, there's the Jane relationship with, is she going to go with Ned? Is she going to go with Steve? It seems like she picked Ned, but there's no future there because of what happens to Ned. You know, all these relationships build up Eleanor and Steve. Will they, won't they? You know, they're both using each other, whether there was a spark there, whether there's not a spark there, whether they can rekindle the spark. These relationships never hit their zenith and never get the resolution. So is that something that may have bothered you at the end when you said, um, what the hell did I just watch? No, because uh, you have uh, moments in stories that you see the potential of where the story is going to go without it being shown to us. And I think first and foremost about Goodwill Hunting at the very end, that Will has changed his life, and he's going to take a chance, and he's heading off to go get the girl when he, he never, ever would have done that before. So he is setting forth on a new chapter of his life that he's willing to take a chance, he's willing to be vulnerable, and that is something that is never revealed in the movie, but the potential for it is there, even though I never see it. So you're saying that there's potential that everything could come to an end? Yeah, or, or just it's it's okay to have things unresolved because that happens in our lives all the time that we see people for the last time and we didn't know it was necessarily going to be the last time that we saw them. Or you let too much time pass and you didn't mean to let too much time pass and now you don't talk to that person anymore, not because you don't like them, but you just time moves on and and your life goes in different directions it's okay to have loose ends or unresolved things it helps us cherish and savor a little bit more what we do have here and now so that way we don't let that happen again hopefully so wait are you saying that took you out of the movie or no no i'm saying that it's okay to have loose ends and unresolved things so it didn't bother you no no okay it did not yeah and you don't like loose ends I didn't at the time until, like like you were saying, Professor, about it marinating, I didn't get all the loose ends at the end of the movie until I stopped and thought about it afterwards of, oh, that was part of the point of the movie, is that you don't need these things to be tied up in a pretty little bow for life to go on. Zizou persuades Eleanor to rejoin the Belafonte and then leads the crew on a rescue mission. They track down Bill to an abandoned hotel on a remote island, saving him along with Hennessy, whom the pirates have also kidnapped. Ned and Zizou then make one last search for the shark in the ship's helicopter, but the aircraft malfunctions and they crash. Ned dies from his injuries and is buried at sea. 
Prior to Ned's death, Eleanor revealed to Jane that Zizu is sterile. Therefore, Ned could not have been his son. Zizu finally tracks down the shark in a submersible, but he decides not to kill it, both because of its beauty and not having any more dynamite. At the premiere of the finished documentary, which is dedicated to Ned, Zizu receives a standing ovation while waiting outside the theater for the premiere to finish. The crew returns triumphantly to the ship the next day. End movie. I think the idea of the, you know, when the pirates attack the ship and when they go to save Bill and they find Hennessy, those action sequences are what tells me that this is Steve narrating the documentary. This is Steve's direction of the documentary that, you know, so he's all of a sudden become this action hero, this guy who's just running at the pirates and shooting them, and he's running with explosions behind him. It almost seems like a filmmaker putting himself in the limelight. Oh, I'm sure it's exactly what it was. And, you know, the uh, uh, Iggy and the Stooges have a song, Search and Destroy, which comes on during the scene. And it's so loud that every other sound in the film is drowned out. And I believe that this is all he can hear this in his head as he's doing this, mm-hmm. you know, going through rampaging. It isn't and it isn't until the end where he shoots the guy that we actually hear the first gunshot. Right. And so I called this uh, when in my notes, I called it uh, uh, Steve's Rambo moment. And it was kind of out of the blue, unexpected. And, you know, it was a fun ride. And I bought that Bill Murray did it. Now, every time they shot, A, he never ran out of ammo, Rambo. And B, mm-hmm. he never fucking hit anything. But, um, yeah, I, I, I dug it. And I can totally see it coming out of the filmmaker's perspective, for sure. Now, obviously, there are a lot of connections to Jacques Cousteau throughout this movie. The movie is pretty much, I believe it's dedicated to Jacques Cousteau. Uh, the fact of, it didn't even hit me right away that you know Steve's ship is called the Belafonte. Belafonte sang Calypso. Jacques Cousteau's boat was named the Calypso. So things like that. There's obvious connections. What I didn't know, I kept thinking, why did they kill Ned? Why did Ned have to die? And then I read up that Jacques Cousteau's son died in a seaplane accident. Yeah. So they actually really are connecting up this movie to Jacques Cousteau. And then doing a little more research, I discovered um, that the director, his hero, was Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. And in fact, he sneaks Jacques Cousteau somehow into all of his other movies. Shock. Shock. You know, Jacques Cousteau. Jacques. Um, Jacques. And just on a side note. Say it again. Jacques. Jacques. <laughs> now, just on a side note, I'm a scuba diver. I'm, I'm a certified scuba diver. You're certifiable, all right. I am certifiable. I have actually did my certification here in the Northwest, or here in the Seattle area, actually up at Alki Beach. Turns out, Jacques Cousteau. That was one of his favorite places to dive. Fuck off! Yeah, he said that up here in the in the Puget Sound, there is such a d- diverse amount of sea life that this was one of his favorite places. Wow, great! So we have a connection to Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. Did you, you you have a connection? I don't well, dive. We all do because we live in the Puget Sound. Did either of you ever watch his show? Yes, uh, maybe once or twice. I used to watch it a lot as a kid. Do I remember a lot of it? No, but I used to watch him and all those animal shows. Um, used to love them. Come explore the undersea world with me and my friend Philip as we discover the squid. <laughs> oh, good old professor. Now he wakes up. No. Now, now he says something. That's great. 
I enjoyed the scene where, uh, Steve, they break into, uh, Jeff Goldblum's research facility and they get there and he's talking in front of the cameras. Ah, they changed the locks on us or something in the, uh, Anne Marie. Uh, no, they didn't. You don't own this. This is Hennessy's or whatever she says. And they break in and then the alarm starts going off and he's like, Oh man, they wired it up. Claus, go get some wire cutters. It's just things like that. It was fucking hilarious. The the thing that I actually laughed out loud, I thought was funny, was later on when Hennessy gets on to the Belafonte and is kind of going through and looking at things. And he goes, wait a minute. Is that my espresso maker? How did you get my espresso maker? Because we fucking stole it, man. That's such great. It was a deadpan delivery. So matter of fact, after everything that they had just been through, surviving the pirates, uh, he's freaking out about his fucking yeah. cappuccino maker. Well, I just love that, they, you know, earlier on in the movie, he was so upset about, you know, people hitting his research facility and stealing his stuff that it never connected to him that it was actually Steve Zizou who stole his stuff. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I was very curious to see how he ends up with pirates. I was, I, I wish I could have seen a little bit more of that, but the fact that he does end up with the pirates, it's like, oh. Yeah. And and I thought it was funny that when they land on the island, they just picked an island and they went with it. And it was because uh, Zizou and his first wife uh, stayed at the hotel, stayed at the hotel. And it turns out they picked the right island. Right. So they got the stooge back and then they happened. He didn't mean to save Hennessy. I'm sure he didn't want to save Hennessy. Yeah. Um, if, if it weren't for the dog yelping. Right. Uh, Cody. Yeah. Cody. Cody. Uh, Did so either of you feel bad that they left the dog behind? It wasn't their dog to begin with. It belonged to the pirates in the first I place, know. so the dog was back home. I oh. kind of started to have the feels for that three-legged dog. Is it weird that when uh, Zizou is asking Hennessy for help and the dog starts yelping and Jeff Goldblum gets up and takes that newspaper oh, and, and smacks the shit smacks out of it? Him. Is it weird that I was the only one that laughed at that? It, it is kind of weird, yeah. A little yeah, it's fucking hilarious, dude. You're kind of a hater, but yeah. I do the same thing. Shut the fuck up, dog. But it's usually you hitting me with a newspaper. I know, but, you know, it's going to leave a mark one of these days, and then Julie's going to ask questions, and yeah. nobody wants that. So, yeah. <clears throat> this was, what, your second time seeing this movie, both of you, or first time? My first. Your first. Was it oh, yours? like my third or fourth. Okay. The first time you saw this movie, did you expect Ned to die? No, I was just going to ask you. Were you did you guys? By that? Yeah. Did you guys see it coming? No, not at all. I'm glad I hadn't done my research this time before the movie because, yeah, that was a total surprise. If I had read what? that Jack Cousteau's son had died in a similar accident, then I would have saw it coming and it kind of would have been a spoiler. So, who was your favorite character? Uh, my favorite character was uh, Steve. Uh, I liked his journey. Um, I thought that Bill Murray plays a good tortured soul. And that's what Steve Zizou is deep down inside, right? He, he thinks he's a has been, uh, doesn't, he's looking for purpose. And, uh, I think he finds it and I think he comes out the other end, a new guy and it's fun to watch his transformation and all the other bit players that go along with it are perfectly cast. And I really enjoyed this cast. I enjoy Wes Anderson's casts in any Wes Anderson movie that you think of. The casts are pretty fucking solid. So, uh, yeah, I would have to say Steve. Who was yours, professor? Uh, Jane. Jane. Yeah. Yeah, I, I um I, I gotta say that just inside I was just I kept waiting. Hella is gonna show up 
and antlers are going to spring from her head, and she is going to take all of them out and down and rain hell, ungodly hell on all of them. I got to say, it's been an hour and three minutes, and that is the first time uh, anyone has referenced one of the Marvel characters being in this film, because there are quite a few, and I am shocked shocked you didn't lead with that i figured you that, that would have been a, triv- a trivia question of course i was gonna call you out that's why i was waiting for you to do it but no now i gotta call out the professor i'm not giving you gratification no well, we'll see about that not on air there you go uh <laughs> and then uh the professor will look at us and say thank you for the lovely tea party uh so you're expecting hella huh i was and watch- that's i was watching it and thinking maybe it'll happen now and that's why she was your favorite character. Uh, yeah. So you didn't like this film at all. I didn't say that at all. I no, s- you kind of did. No. What I did say was that the movie is something that I watched and it was not what I was expecting. And I felt myself very, very ambivalent about what the story was trying to tell me. My favorite character was probably the Jaguar shark. That doesn't surprise me at all. And why is that? Because it, when I saw it, it reminded me of a hokey-looking spacecraft from, you know, like, Flash Gordon. You want to know why he was my favorite character? Yes, please. Because secretly, I hope the machines win. There you go. Did you know that that was the biggest stop-motion animation uh, model ever built? And they filmed him upside down. Oh, I did not know about upside down, but I did know about the largest. I actually, to be truthful, Jane also was my favorite character only because like I said before, I felt like she had the best dialogue and she, uh, when she was actually acting it out, she did her lines the best. I, I found them the most believable. I found her to be the most, the character I could get into the most in that, you know, her life story, when she's telling things, when she's trying not to swear, when she's reading to the baby, all of that kind of, you know, brought me more into that character. Yeah. Yeah. Great character. Mm-hmm. Like what she did with the role. I love the whole idea of, you know, when Ned gives her the letters, to, you know, to write him with the paper and everything that she immediately gets started on writing him a letter. Yeah. She and had a fat stack. Did you notice she puts it in his coffin? That's that was the fat stack I was talking about. Yeah. It goes into the coffin. Here's another interesting point you bring up about the coffin and the funeral. Um, I didn't catch this at first, but it's another one of those things that kind of hits you later when you start thinking about it. They do the burial at sea where they drop the coffin in the water, and as the coffin is going down, we see Eleanor in the viewing area, watching the coffin go down. Now, one of the other breakdowns I watched of this movie brought up a great point in that it seemed like earlier, just before this, she was starting to accept the idea of having Ned in their lives because she leaves him in the beginning. She leaves Steve in the beginning because she doesn't like Steve using Ned and she knows in her mind Ned is not really Steve's son. But then she starts to accept him and she kind of gives a, a line where she says, the three of us will be a family after this. Then she sees Ned's coffin going down. It was more of a poignant moment to think, here's, you know, she's just accepted him and now he's gone already. She's just accepted the idea of having a child with Steve and that child's now been taken away. So I thought that kind of made that scene a little more poignant 
knowing why they filmed her watching the coffin going down. You didn't think that when you watched it? No, I just thought she was just this vain character throughout the whole movie. Oh, no. Who was just in the thing going, oh, well, there, there he goes. No, I got but it. I didn't get the connection of this was someone she had just accepted. Oh, I got it right away. You get it, What she was doing with her facial expressions, um, you, she was feeling, she was sad, yeah. right? And so, you know. Did you get that, Professor? She had to. She had to say it. It wasn't until she said it. I didn't get that from her body language at all. But once she said that, you know, the three of us can be a family. Okay, now I get it. As soon as she said it, it's like, all right, she's ready to move forward, regardless if it's a biological connection or not. They will be a family now, moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So he he hints to it uh, throughout. Uh, throughout their journey and at that moment i i, I got it because she was sad and why else would she be sad she started to love the kid right so well and he had nothing but um good and praise for steve right he he was very uh forthright and honest and only displayed you know um a, a positive attitude and behavior. There was nothing uh, that was cynical or uh, or bitter when he had a perfectly good right to be, and he didn't display any of those characteristics. Not at all. And I kind of felt his performance, Owen Wilson's performance of Ned, simple. You know what I mean? Uh, I thought of it as pure. There you go, pure and simple. Uh, and and he did it really well, and uh, that's what I thought too. I, I thought that uh, Owen knocked it out of the park as well. So, yeah, I'm a fan of this movie. I, you're hard pressed to get me to say anything negative about it. You already did say one negative thing that it did seem to carry on in certain parts. It was a bit long. Yeah. It was a bit long, but I but no, I wonder if I chalk that up to and I'm going to stop you before you get to your innuendo. I wonder if I uh, if I chalk that up to me getting older because a lot of the movies that we've been watching. I tend to think to myself, eh, it's running a bit long. Even with Bone Tomahawk, I was thinking, eh, it's a little bit long. Not so much to take me out of it or ruin it for me, but the fact that it pops into my head, you know, I don't know if it ever used to do that. I will say that is a fairly common uh, mention by you. When yeah. you talk about um, a critique of a movie, that is almost always referenced by you in the last probably... Probably last two, three years. Oh, yeah. Totally get it, right? You know, Clock Watcher, Evil Dead 2. Clock Watcher, Flash Gordon. Clock Watcher, Moulin Rouge. I can go on and on and on. So, there you go. Do you like the way that they ended the movie? Professor kind of touched on this earlier with the resolution of Steve um, no longer caring about what people think. It's, you know, he's in a way found his purpose, which is getting back to what he likes doing and the people and the family that's in his life. So that's why he's not at the premiere. He's out there talking to the nephew of Klaus um, and spending his time there. And then when the movie ends and everyone gives a standing ovation and come out to congratulate him, he walks ahead of the crowd. He is no longer caring about their adoration and about their questions and about their comments. It's all about him and his family. Did you, do you think that was a great way to tie up this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a nice little bow 
at the end of the film. Now, at the very end, where they have the Buckaroo Bonanzai, Buckaroo Bonsai, excuse me, Buckaroo Bonsai kind of ending where everybody kind of comes out and walks along and they get the sound guy and they get the number one intern and they all kind of join. I did not catch Owen Wilson in that until, again, I had to read about it later, and it, that's something I may have to go watch that scene again. Did you catch Owen Wilson where he came in? No, I thought he was dead. Did you catch him? I never saw him. So they snuck him in there? The reports that I have read is when they get on the boat, he's up in the crow's nest. Is that? Oh, who- I, I saw a person up in the crow's nest. I didn't think it was Owen Wilson. Yeah, that's supposed to be Owen Wilson up there. Yeah, because that's supposed to be. Well, he, he's all in black. I mean, yeah. he's shadowed out. You can't see. Yeah. So maybe it's his spirit. Yeah, because yeah. I was wondering who is that? If everybody's down on the dock. Who's that one person up up top all by themselves when everybody's down on the dock? Yeah, and it, that figure doesn't move, and it looks, you know, it's 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 all there's no color in it. It's all black. So yeah, yeah, maybe it's Owen Wilson. It, it's spirit. revealed later. It's supposed to be Owen Wilson. It's revealed? Who revealed it? The director or uh, script oh, writer? Oh, so one of them. so not revealed in the movie. You mean no. afterwards? Oh, in, I got interview you, got you. in some kind of interview yeah. or something. They revealed that that was Owen Wilson. Yeah, right on. Some of the uh, pictures that I looked at for the movie i um did enjoy the majesty of the cinematography that this movie captures there are some beautiful camera shots in this that show so much in the frame the the camera is uh very thoughtfully put in some of these scenes to to show what it shows and i uh i i have to say i'm i'm impressed with that yeah. If you don't have a lot to say about Wes Anderson, you can say he knows how to film a movie. He knows how to uh, shoot a movie. Uh, a lot of his movies, the cinematography is is uh, very well done. So I agree with you on that for sure. A couple more points I'd like to bring up. One no. is I thought it was interesting that uh, reading Kate Blanchett found out she was actually in, pregnant in real life during the making of this movie. And so when asked about it, Wes Anderson said that she's just a method actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she wore a prosthetic in the first half of filming and the second half of filming. That was really her baby bump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. The other interesting thing I thought, and again, it didn't hit me at first, but it hit me later, was the connections to Moby Dick in this movie. Oh, that was glaring in your face. How could you not get it? Well, the I reason didn't. being in the beginning, well, he's hunting his white whale. He's after the shark. But in the end, if you're familiar, again, spoilers, familiar with the ending of um, Moby Dick, Ahab goes down with the whale. Right. He gets killed by the whale, whereas Steve gives up the whale. He gives up his his you know pursuit of revenge to just let it go. Right. So it's kind of the you know the different ending, but it is interesting how they kind of connected that in a lot of the movie. Whenever uh, someone goes after a big creature in the sea, it's the first thing I think of jaws the second thing i think of moby dick so all right so what do you guys think you guys ready to rate this bitch sure why not hey uh professor how do we rate our movies we rate our movies on a scale of one to five a five is one of those movies when you walk out of the movie the movie theater and you say to yourself man i'm ready to watch that again right now it has instant rewatchability to it a one is a movie that you have seen and feel that you have no desire to see the movie again you're one and done a three is going to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you're definitely going to watch it again. Maybe not right away. You're not in the mood for it right away, but you'll definitely watch it in the future and potentially even own the movie. And what would a zero be? A zero would be somebody saying, I want two hours of my life back. I need two hours of my life back. I have been robbed. 
All right. Uh, who would like to go first? All right. I'll go first. Uh, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Uh, like I said and have been saying throughout the podcast, I really enjoyed this film. I thought, you know, uh, it was uh, very well cast. Uh, it was shot beautifully. I like the way Wes Anderson uses his sets. I like uh, the deliberateness he uses in uh, the way he films things, the use of color. Uh, his stories admittedly can be a little bit slow, but I think when situations like that, if the dialogue um, keeps you engaged, then uh, you just stay with it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But for me in this instance, it does work. And uh, I love the, the just kind of the quirkiness of it. I love the fact that, you know, when uh, they're getting boarded by the pirates, uh pele the guitar player he's singing major tom david boy right and right, he starts right, counting right. down Four, as yeah, yeah, yeah as the pirates are getting on right, right, on board right. so it's little things like that that i appreciate and um yeah overall i think it's a fun film uh i'm glad we uh watched it and i'll totally watch it again so for that i'm gonna go ahead and give it a 3.5 professor you want to go next or you want me to go uh i'll go that's okay. all right. Yeah, I'll go. So this is my first watch of the movie. And like I said, I found myself looking for more to happen. And the movie continues to give less. And eventually less needs to be more. Okay, this is a less is more movie. And the movie is so subtle in its approach to the characters. And there is a lot of not very much going on most of the time that it took me a long time to get settled into the movie because I'm thinking, where is this going? I, I, I thought we were, okay, well, I guess we're going to do that instead. And by the end of the movie, I was really frustrated by the fact that it took so long for us to get to that point, to the end of the movie. But like I said, when I woke up the next morning, I found myself turning it, turning it over in my head and I thought about it many times throughout the day how do I feel about this movie? How do I feel about the resolution of the characters and where the characters were left at the end of the movie? And it did give a warm, a warming inside me. I, I came to, uh, I don't want to say appreciate, but I came to understand more about how and why the story was being told the way that it was. And in that regard, it did caused me to shift in how I perceived the movie and how eager I am to watch it again. And there is a curiosity to watch the movie again, for sure, only because I'm interested in seeing those storylines between Ned and Steve. The storylines of Klaus, I'm eager to see how Klaus is interacting in the way that he does between Steve and Ned. I really thought that uh, Jane, she was a, a richly developed character, and I appreciated her the most out of the group. I really thought that it is a pretty-looking picture with some of those shots that Wes has set up, and it is a very thoughtful movie. I really enjoyed the uh, characters in general, the actors, they were very comforting. It was very comforting to have Bill Murray throughout the movie. I really appreciated uh, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe. Having these main characters, it was very comforting to have them in the movie for me. They were, they were uh, 
characters that they did well, and I enjoyed having them along for the ride. I don't know if I'm eager to watch it anytime soon, but there is a curiosity to watch it again. My rating is a 1.5. Yeah. Ooh, I thought yours would actually be a little higher, too. I thought it would be closer to a 2. Oh, no, I thought he was going the other way. You thought he was going the other way? Yeah, I thought he was going to go like a 1. or <clears throat> Not that that's far off, but maybe like a 0.75 or something. Well, you didn't quite go as high as we thought, and I didn't go quite as low as you thought. All right, so uh, should we make a prediction real quick on what this guy's going to do? We can write it down on a piece of paper. Oh, okay. There you go. We are, uh, listeners, we are going to try and predict what John gives this movie. Ooh. And he hasn't told us yet. Would you like to hear my <clears throat> review of this movie? Well, since I already know what it is, yeah, go ahead. Okay. This actually is one of the most difficult reviews I've had to do. Because as I said it before, my first viewing of this movie, you know, I was sending you text messages, Don, basically saying, what the hell did I just watch? And we need Zach to come on the show and defend this movie. Because I didn't, as, as you've said it, you know, I really didn't get the purpose of this movie. I didn't get the point of this movie. And as someone who had only ever seen one other Wes Anderson movie before and really didn't care for it much, I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth regarding this movie, even going into it. But, you know, the funny thing is, is as a fan of Jacques Cousteau, I've been looking forward to seeing this movie and wanted to see it for a long time. Um, so I'm glad that it was submitted by Zach. So again, I was going in with all kinds of complicated feelings to this movie. Uh, this movie had a real powerhouse cast, as you were saying, Professor, that it had you know, Angelica Houston, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, William, Willem Dafoe. It had great actors in it. Whether or not they were utilized to their full potential in this movie, it, it's up to your opinion of whether you feel they were or weren't. Um, I feel like there are certain things like I would have liked to see a little bit more of Willem Dafoe. Um, Kate Blanchett's, you know, here and there in a few different scenes, so we don't really get much from her. Um, I got, you know, a, a lot of Kate Blanchett, which I was really happy about. Bill Murray did a wonderful job in this movie. This movie was really written for him in mind. And he was the perfect, I can't see anybody else, maybe Steve Carell doing this movie, possibly playing kind of that character he played in Little Miss Sunshine. Um, but other than that, Bill Murray, I think, you can't think of this movie and not think of Bill Murray in, the, in that part. Um, so overall, great cast. The storyline was hard for me to get through, and I found myself looking at the clock because I kept thinking, okay, well, we're following Ned. We're following um, Eleanor. We're following you know, June. We're following all these different characters, and, and where are they going with the characters? So when I got to the end of the movie and there wasn't any resolution to these other storylines, just a little bit of Steve, I found myself wanting more, and it, it frustrated me. And... If I had to give my rating that night right after watching the movie, it'd be a one or less because I was frustrated with the movie. But, Professor, you brought up a great point of it's a movie that stews in your brain, that it makes you think about it later, and you start thinking about different scenes in certain directions, and I started to do my research, and I started to watch different reviews, and... I started to see other people's viewpoints of, you know, what this movie meant to them, things like that. Uh, there's a, a gentleman online, his name is Chris London, who, who on YouTube, he does this video about what life aquatic means to him. I believe his, his online name is 
Adustus. Um, and he talks about with passion and feeling of what this movie meant to him. And he's watched it a number of times. Um, usually at points in his life that he needs a movie to help him recenter himself and refine his purpose. And when I started thinking about the movie just from that kind of idea, just the idea of finding purpose and focusing more on Steve Zizou, you know, just on Bill Murray's character, the movie took on a whole different impression on me. It took on, oh, there was a point to the movie. Oh, we're getting the narration from Steve's point of view. You know, this is him making his final documentary on his life, his purpose, and his passion. You know, all the other characters are just players in that story of his life. And and it was basically, you know, the story of his progress and his growth throughout the whole thing. That made me see the movie in a whole different point. So now I'm starting to think, you know, before if you had asked me, would I want to watch this movie again? Absolutely not. I'm done with this movie. I don't even know if I want to watch another Wes Anderson movie. Now that I know and I get the metaphors and I get the bigger picture of this movie and the way it was designed, I'm not ready to say I want to run out and just put the movie in and watch it again right away. But at the same time, if someone came to me and said, hey, we're going to watch Life Aquatic. You want to come watch it with us? I think this is a great opportunity to see it again and to discuss with people what their thoughts are on the movie. Because, you know, that's one of the reasons we started this podcast is because we do, we love discussing movies. And so I'd love to see it again through other people's eyes and see what they get from the movie. So it's one of those movies, again, that I could go either way of, no, I don't want to run out and watch it myself. But if it's on and available... I probably will watch it. So I got to go again right down the middle with a 2.5. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Totally holy shit. What'd you put? 1.25. I got a 1.0. So again, my growth as someone you know, rating films, I, I think you would say I have grown as a reviewer? <clears throat> no, not at all. He won't even give me that, will he? I, I can still surprise John, you. John, after the mic is turned off, he will. No. No, he'll, I won't. He'll give me the growth? Is that what you're saying? Well, only if you ask nicely. <laughs> so there you go. Well, Don, your birthday is coming up. I know, and yours just passed. So uh, happy birthday, old man. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. So now we are moving into uncharted territory moving forward. You sound scared. We have another movie to pick. We do have another movie This will be pick. our sick. Our this will be our second listener pick. This will be our second listener pick. Since uh, I picked Life Aquatic, who wants to pick? I guess I can pick out of the Bronco helmet. Out of the Bronco helmet. Here, dude, give this a shake. That's right. Shake it. And, shake it. Shake it. Why a Bronco helmet? Why not? Who, who stuck you, all these together? Do you not know who I am? These are all stuck together. They're all sticky notes. For Some jackass put them on sticky notes. Well, why didn't you fold them the other fucking way? Because then you're going to see the title on the outside. Oh, so what? Okay, so the genre of this movie is a sports movie. Okay, first of all, I don't know if you are any in any kind of position to dictate what the genre is. I thought he was going to say musical. I thought he was too, but that's, you know. Well, Live Aquatic is. was technically a musical. No, it wasn't. It was a it was a drama, dramedy with music in it. With singing in it. With music in it. Was it their live singing in it? Was Ray a musical? Yeah. No, it wasn't. It was a drama. But could it be classified as a musical? No, it can't. 
Okay, back to our pick for next week. <laughs> Don, you're over here. We need to bring you back over here. Oh, you, you're the one that put me over there, you dumb son of a bitch. You dumb son of a bitch. Lethal Weapon 2. Well played, okay. Professor. Well, this would be submitted by uh, my father, actually. Oh, look at you. So the next movie we will be reviewing. Not the natural. Not the natural. Not the natural. Is the natural. Motherfucker, I hate baseball. You don't like baseball? I hate baseball. Well, how do you feel about Robert Redford? Oh, stud. I'm just kidding, Rick. I'm excited to uh, check out The Natural. You know, I haven't seen The Natural in naturally a long time. I've never actually seen it. That doesn't surprise me at all. You don't like the sports ball stuff. I've liked a couple, but I, no, it's not the kind of thing I usually run out and try to watch. I yeah. like to feel the dreams. I didn't think that was a bad movie. I surfed into it a long time ago, so... I watched the second half of it. And one of my favorite movies is actually a sports movie. Dodgeball. All right. So I am looking forward to watching The Natural. So thank you, Rick, for throwing that into the helmet for us. We do appreciate it. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. Hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us on Facebook, Twitter. They can find us at any popular or even unpopular podcasting hosting site, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes. You know, I, I've put us up everywhere. They can find us at um, Instagram. I think they can find us at Pinterest. Uh, no TikTok yet. I don't know what to tell you, dude. I don't know how to talk or tick. Yeah. Well, that's, that's on the professor. No, it's not. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap it up. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. Thank you to everyone who listens, and thanks again to Zach for this request. We had a lot of fun talking about it. So, yeah, for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. You didn't thank Zach for submitting again. What was the last thing I just said? Thanks for listening. Oh, that was me. I said it just before I said I'm done. The only thing I, I swear to God, do you even listen to me at all? No. And you don't listen to the podcast. You know what? You are no longer allowed to give the professor any shit for not listening to the podcast because you motherfucker don't even listen to the podcast. I have to participate, you know, isn't that the whole point? No, that's punishment. Listening to it would be, well, I guess that's punishment. Too. <laughs> you all right over there? Mm-hmm. Someone poked the professor. I know. He's falling asleep on the mic. I can see his eyes getting heavy. I am heavier. not falling asleep. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fuck off. Good night. <laughs>